Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. How many people under the age of 40 do you suppose bother to read an owner's manual these days? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's a pretty small percentage. Most people say they're just too long-winded, they're too complicated, they can't find what they need when they try to uh, look through them anyway. Besides, most electronics these days are supposed to be pretty intuitive, right? Even smartphones, as capable as they are, as complicated as they are, they don't even come with a printed manual. You learn by pushing buttons to see what happens. And when you push a button and something bad happens, pretty unlikely you're going to scour the internet for the whole afternoon trying to find a printed or a technical manual for that phone. You're going to Google it, right? Me, I'm kind of old school. Uh, if it comes with an instruction manual, I'll probably read it first, cover to cover. The problem is, I'm so old school that by the time I get to page 72, I've already forgotten what I read on page one. I will admit that sometimes I'll open up a quick start guide, one of those ones that unfold like an old highway map, uh, one with lots of pictures and very few words. Uh, it's not at all complicated like the, like the whole technical manuals are. You know, life as a believer can seem pretty complicated sometimes, can it? Uh, luckily, the Apostle Paul gives us a sort of quick start guide this morning. It's in our lesson from the book of Romans. Uh, before we talk about where we are, though, let's take a look at how we got here. Last week, we heard uh, Peter make his great confession of faith. Remember that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was bold, and it was beautiful. But it came with some prophecies attached, including the Lord's own earthly end. In our gospel reading this morning, Jesus and his disciples are, are on their way to Jerusalem to see those prophecies fulfilled. It'll be the most important journey of their lives. Jesus tells them what's waiting for them there. He tells them that he must undergo great sufferings at the, the hands of the, the, the scribes and the, and the priests and the, the Jewish leaders, the church leaders, and be tortured. And, and undergo great sufferings and, and then kill and on the third day rise. We hear those words from this side of Easter and we really know that you know, what's coming and what good it'll ultimately bring about. But can you imagine being one of those disciples and hearing those things so plainly for the very first time? They left their careers behind, their friends, their families to follow this Jesus, uh, convinced that he was going to change history forever that he would ultimately restore the nation of Israel to its glory days, and that they would have an important role to play in that new kingdom. You know, pardon me, you can imagine one of them asking, just like you heard Peter say almost this morning, someone will be able to put you to death? You just fed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. We watched you walk on water, calm storms, uh, heal the sick, give sight to the blind. We heard you teach and preach with unheard of wisdom and authority. Who could possibly put you to death? It was all just part of what it meant to be the Messiah, though. You know, all those amazing things had been important. They showed who Jesus was, but they weren't what would define his time here on earth. At the center of Jesus' earthly life would be a cross and an empty tomb. Now, Peter wasn't ready at first to accept anything other than a cross-free Messiah. He didn't understand how lasting good could ever come from such evil events, how such an ending could ever become a new beginning. Besides, there was still so much to do. Uh, 
people to heal, uh, storms of life to calm, uh, a whole world to change. And the world would be changed. The disciples would be changed by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven to, to be at his Father's side once again. And that same cross and empty tomb are still changing people even today. They're changing common, ordinary people like you and I into Easter people. It's the reason the church worships on Sunday instead of on the old Jewish Saturday Sabbath. Jesus died on Good Friday, and he rose again on Easter Sunday. Each Sunday worship service like this is really a little celebration of the Easter resurrection. The cross has freed us from the consequences of sin so that we can live as disciples of our Lord. It shapes our worship. Uh, it shapes our study. It shapes how the, the, the teachings of Jesus play out in our everyday lives. The problem is that we forget. We get distracted. Now, we're all distracted by so many things every day, aren't we? So many different things pulling us in so many different directions. That becomes just one more. And sometimes it can get set aside and maybe forgotten. Uh, we, we, we need the reminders. We started talking last week about how the Apostle Paul spent the first 11 chapters of his letter to the Christian church in Rome laying out the gospel and the theology that grows out of it, the doctrine, really. And then in chapter 12, remember, he kind of turns a corner and he begins talking about how we're supposed to take that and put it all to work. Uh, how relevant it still is for people, even like us, 2,000 years later. It's a good reminder, even this morning. You know, it's a little like the man who went to see his doctor and he told him, you know, that he hadn't been feeling well lately. The doctor examined the man and, and he left the room. And then in a few moments he returned with three different bottles of pills. And he told the man, take the green pill with a big glass of water when you get up every morning. Then take the blue pill with a big glass of water after you eat lunch. And then just before you go to bed at night, take a red pill with another big glass of water. Holy Khalil, the man stammered. What's wrong with me, Doc? And the doctor replied, you're not drinking enough water. <laughs> As Easter, I probably had to pay for that. <laughs> As Easter people, we all need a little dose of Romans 12 from time to time. We need to up our sanctification intake. We need to work on that response to the Easter good news. It's really the answer to the question, you know, now what? When, when life seems to drop itself right smack dab in the middle of our path. It tells us what living as Easter people is all about. It's that part of the, the, the Bible and that reflection of Jesus that other people are supposed to see in us. Listen to our Roman passage again. This, from, this time from the message, Eugene Peterson's version of the Bible, it reads uh, like a novel, really. It's a paraphrased Bible, but it just reads like a story. Uh, you can follow along on the back of your bulletins if you want, the English Standard Version we just read. Uh, it might confuse you a little bit, but you can see just how different from the actual words a paraphrased Bible can be, even though the idea is there. Uh, beginning in chapter 12, verse 9, uh, Peterson writes, a love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expecting. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. 
help needy Christians, be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy, share tears when they're down. Get along with each other, don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies, don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Now each one of those verses could be a, a sermon in itself, couldn't it? The Apostle Paul begins, uh, let love be genuine. Uh, the Greek word here, in the, in the biblical Greek, means without hypocrisy or unhypocritical, if that's even real word. Uh, it's often translated, let love be sincere. That first sentence really sets the tone for the whole rest of the reading. Let love be genuine. Or in uh, Peterson's paraphrase, uh, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. John says the same thing in 1 John 18. Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. This was the primary character of the early Christian community. It was a place where love was demonstrated. It was central to their faith. People shared everything they had so that no one person would be without everything they needed. I suppose there were hypocrites in those days too, or Paul probably wouldn't have brought it up in, in our reading today. Uh, faith calls us to be genuine, though, Paul says, abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. He goes on to say, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. He's saying that even if we don't know one another, we're really related to one another by our faith in Jesus Christ brothers and sisters in the faith. And because we're related, um, we treat each other with acceptance and forgiveness. You know, that kind of mutual care and respect uh, leads us to honoring others even before ourselves, to regard others as even more deserving than ourselves. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Peterson says, practice playing second fiddle. Now that one doesn't sit too well with our naturally selfish natures. But there is a practical side to it that might. We probably should have printed it out for you and put a little card you could carry in your wallet. But it would, it would read something like this. There's no limit to the good a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Our sinful natures won't like that. But it will free us up to do good things all over the place. Paul says it's the way real love acts. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know, God hates lukewarm Christians. He says so in Revelation chapter 3 in his letter to the churches. I know all the things that you do, he says, that you are neither hot nor cold. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Get the point? Hard to miss, right? So what do we have to be so excited about that we should stand out from the crowd? Our hope. Rejoice in hope, Paul says. 
Our hope is born out of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, which reminds us over and over again that no matter what we might have done in life, God continues to love us unconditionally. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Talking about all of us? Every single sin? Some of you may listen to the Jesus Christ show on KFI Radio on Sunday morning. They're part of it coming over uh, today. Um, the host says he's really not trying to impersonate Jesus. Um, that it's just theater of the air. That's a call-in show where people can get uh, answers to their life issues from a, from a spiritual viewpoint. Or they might ask questions about the Bible or the faith. Uh, I'm not sure what the real Jesus thinks about the show's title, um, but the guy is pretty knowledgeable. If nothing else, it's a reminder that other people have the same kinds of issues and questions that you might struggle with, maybe even bigger ones. Back in 2008, there was a similar program on KGO radio called God Talk up in the Bay Area. It was hosted by a former Catholic priest who had left the priesthood, eventually married and raised a family. Then one day the FBI raided his home and seized his computer. He would be convicted of downloading and distributing child pornography and sent to prison for seven years. His defense was that it all started as a research program and a research project in connection with his work and, and that combined with some heavy drinking, he just got caught in its downward spiral. The judge called him a troubled individual whose downfall was a personal tragedy. He was released from prison in 2014, but is there yet another sentence waiting for him in his future? Right? Is he going to hell for it? He was publicly, and I suspect personally, repentant. His reputation and his career were history, uh, and I have no idea what happened to his marriage and his family. For a guy with a conviction like that, his prison time was likely hell on earth, but it was, was hell for all eternity tacked onto his sentence. That's something between him and God. Right, we heard it in our lesson this morning. Leave that to me, God says. Remember, God showed his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, including you and I. We didn't have to, to wait until we were good enough or had earned enough to, for, to, for God to notice us and send us a Savior. He sent us a Savior while we were still sinners because we needed one. Now we can imagine that, that that man and his wife had pictures of their four kids on their mantle at home or maybe on the wall or on their dresser. And the, and the hope we have as believers, uh, that sure hope in Christ, that joy that should set every believer apart and be noticeable to others, is that God has your picture on his. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's desire for our lives. And even though... We might tend to rank sins from the white lie variety you know, all the way to the blackest heart variety. Uh, there's more than enough reason to rejoice in the hope and hold on to the promise that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world on that cross. For every sin that had ever been committed and every sin that ever would be. Even ours. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Well, the first part's easy. You know, when you get converted, so should your wallet. Uh, that's all we need to say about that. But regarding hospitality, 
There are so many government and social programs available today, it's easy to forget that people still have human needs as well. And it's a responsibility of people just like us to help meet those needs too. You know, let's not let anyone fall through the cracks. Uh, during COVID, be the human face or the, the human voice of God's love to others. Help heal the hurts. It's, it's what God's people do. Peterson's got the next few verses nailed in, in the message. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. What? Did you ever do that? Bless somebody, but underneath your breath? Yeah, you did. I did. I probably did. <laughs> Laugh, but I feel more guilty about it maybe than you do. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears with them when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Goes to the core, really, if we were to be as, as believers in Christ. Now Paul's next verses. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We live in a world today where we're always, it seems like we're always at war with someone, don't we? Uh, it's a big issue now with the, with the elections and, and uh, where we're battling each other in a war of words. And sadly, even worse. Uh, peace just doesn't come easily for us in the best of times. Not for the world, not for our country, uh, not even for us as individuals. You know, just let someone cut us off on the freeway, then watch your peace go flying right out the window. But as Christians, we're supposed to set the example. We're supposed to be that model of peace for others to see and wonder what it is that makes us different. And that can create opportunities for us to share the gospel good news about that peace that's ours. Peace that begins by living in peace with God. It's not always easy, but that doesn't change the way it's supposed to be. Now, as if we knew we'd stop to ponder that, Paul goes on, beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Jesus had that same idea in his Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? When he taught the radical ideas that we were supposed, the idea that we were supposed to love our enemies. Uh, Paul's quoting that last part, the burning coals part from Proverbs 25. Now the idea of heaping burning coals on your enemy's head seems like just like just like the ticket to make you feel better, doesn't it? Especially if his hair catches on fire. But that's probably not what it means. In fact, scholars uh, really don't agree what it refers to, but they all do seem to agree that at least in, in Paul's culture, it wouldn't have meant punishment. Um, it would probably mean uh, that your, continual, your continued acts of kindness toward an enemy would actually bring him to contrition. He would be sorry, maybe even fully repentant. Uh, it would bring shame on him for the evil acts that, that, that he did when he failed to get a rise out of you. Uh, it takes at least two to have a war. I suppose that if Paul menaced to harm our enemies, he, he would have had, a, had them uh, walking on burning coals. Finally, Paul bookends this section with another reminder about doing good. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Imagine what would happen in this town if all the Christians began acting this way. How many people are turned away from Christianity because they don't see the difference it makes? 
Now, we can change that. We, begin, we can begin that change right here this morning. We can walk out to that parking lot in a little while, resolve not to conform to the world any longer, to begin to practice what we're preaching. Peter wrote in his first letter to the church, this is regarding Jesus, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. We can only begin this morning living according to Paul's quick start guide in response to the love God has already shown to us in Jesus Christ. What a testimony of grace we could be. What do you say? Amen? Amen. amen. And amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.